Well, today we're going to learn about contentment from a very unlikely source. Uh, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul. And I say these are unlikely because uh, people who experience the types of things that Paul experienced generally end up as bitter, angry, vengeful, discontented people. Consider some of the things that Paul experienced in his life. He gives these catalogs of things in different places. Uh, Paul had been beaten and stoned and left for dead, not because he ran with a bad crowd, but because he had to do the will of God. He could not quit telling people about Jesus. Uh, Paul was a man who was uh, at different times hungry and thirsty. He went without food and water. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said that he was often without food. Uh, there were times when Paul was exposed to the elements. Uh, one time he spent a night in the day bobbing up and down in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, clinging to his life. Uh, on other occasions, he didn't have shelter, and so he had to battle with the cold. Paul often had to deal with very complex, painful situations in the churches that he had established. And uh, sometimes when we experience a fraction of the things he experienced, we throw up our, our hands and say, I'm done. I don't need this. But not Paul. He referred to this as the daily pressure on me for all the churches. When Paul wrote Philippians, he was in jail, probably in Rome. Again, not because he had done something wrong, but because he was falsely accused. And so we think about what Paul went through, this, this catalog of his sufferings. And if he, after all of that, has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, he's somebody we should pay attention to. Okay, nobody's going to look at Paul's life and say, well... Of course, Paul could be content. He's living the dream. If I had his circumstances, of course I'd be content. Nobody says that. No, he has credibility because he endured all these painful, tragic experiences, and yet he learned to be content. He has credibility. He can speak authoritatively about learning contentment in even the most difficult of circumstances. I suspect that every single one of us here in the room is in the midst of some circumstance that we wish were different. Uh, something that when we think about this area of our lives or this situation, uh, instead of being filled with peace and satisfaction, uh, we're stirred up inside. We have anxiety, have probably fear in some of these things. And uh, your, your uh, discontentment may involve a relationship, it might involve your finances, it might involve your health, it might involve uncertainty about the future, but whatever it is, I, I would encourage you to bring that situation to the passage we're going to look at today. And I should probably warn you that I'm going to challenge you to be content in that circumstance in present tense, okay? So just a warning. All right. I love J.I. Packer's description of contentment. He says this, he says, contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we know that he is good. This doesn't mean that everything that we experience is something God wanted in our lives or God sent in our lives. It doesn't mean we're complacent. It doesn't mean we're passive. 
Paul was anything but complacent and passive when it came to his imprisonment. Uh, Paul wrote people, he said, pray for me, I want to get out of prison. I have things I want to do. He wasn't passive, he was a Roman citizen, so he availed himself of the the uh, opportunities had to legal uh, legal rights he had as a Roman citizen. And so he was anything but complacent and passive. Uh, Paul uh, sought different circumstances. He had ambitions for his future that did not include prison. But while he was in prison, he was content. While he was experiencing that, his mindset was, this is God's assignment for me. And I believe that he is strong, he's powerful, and he is sovereign even over this circumstance. And so, uh, contentment flows from faith and it it results in peace. So we're going to consider Paul's example of contentment in Philippians 4 verses 10 through 13 and process our own lives in light of his experience. He doesn't actually command, you need to be content the way I am, but it's implicit. He, gives, he lays out his own experience. And so Paul speaks about his own contentment in the context of thanking the Philippians for a gift that they had given him. Uh, notice the context in verse 10. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so he mentions there that they had revived their concern for him. If you read down to verse 18, he makes it clear that they revived their concern by sending Epaphroditus, one of their own, with a monetary gift. And so when Epaphroditus showed up and spent time with Paul and he brought this gift, uh, he was full to overflowing. We're going to see not because of the gift so much, but because they had reaffirmed their love for him and their commitment to the gospel. And so Paul, wasn't, uh, Paul wanted to make sure he wasn't implying that they were negligent. He said in the last half of verse 10, he qualifies it. He says, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And we don't know exactly why he said that. It may be that they didn't know about some need he had. Uh, it may be that Paul had get, sent a message and said, please don't send money now. There were times where he wanted to work as a tent maker to earn money. He never wanted to give, off the, give the impression that he preaches the gospel just so, he could make, just so he could have money. Whatever the case, when they found out he had a need and they could give a gift, it says that they did so graciously. And by the way, you read in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the Macedonian churches. Paul said that they gave out of their poverty. And so they weren't giving out of their excess. They were a very impoverished church and yet they were generous. We see in verse 11 that Paul didn't want to give the wrong impression on another front. He didn't want the Philippians to think that his joy was dependent on their gifts. Certainly he had joy that they sent the gift, uh, but, but something, something else was operating deep within Paul's soul. He experienced a contentment that transcended his circumstances. He writes this in verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He says, I don't want my previous comment to imply that I'm sitting around miserable until the gift comes. I wasn't miserable because I, I had unmet needs. To the contrary, Paul makes this extraordinary claim, okay? I don't know how many of us would be able to say that, but Paul said, 
I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And so when he says he learned it, that means Paul didn't always have contentment. Paul was not given contentment, fully mature, when he came to Christ. It was over a period of time in a broad variety of circumstances, both having abundance and suffering need, that Paul learned contentment. Uh, he, He learned that God could meet his need. He learned, I accept this situation from God's hand because God is good. As I mentioned earlier, Paul was not passive or complacent about his circumstances. He prayed, he, he uh, talked to people, he took action. Uh, but while he was in prison, he lived with contentment. He was assured that God had ordered his circumstances. And when you think about the thing that, that troubles you, the, the thing that keeps you up at night, uh, the thing that you wish were different, Uh, It may be that you need to take action. If you have a relationship that needs to be mended, God does not want you to be complacent. Uh, You need to, to, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with everybody. Uh, If you have a deficit in your spiritual maturity, you need to seek God. You You need to seek to address that. shouldn't be complacent with spiritual immaturity in yourself or in someone else. But those steps of actively seeking God... And being obedient, they are in no way incompatible with contentment. But contentment does mean accepting God's timing and trusting in God's ways. Because he trusted in God, that God was in control of his circumstances, he was genuinely content in every circumstance. He gives specific examples in verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, or could be translated, when I have been brought low, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. And I love the way he says, I have learned the secret uh, of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And so for the second time, Paul says, I have learned contentment. But here he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And so it's not something everybody knows. If it's a secret, Uh, if if everybody knows it, it's not a secret, right? And so if you want to learn contentment, you have to stay close to God. You have to to listen intently, sometimes over a long period of time for his whisper, if you really want to learn the secret of contentment. And notice how he learned contentment at both ends of the spectrum. First of all, he knew how to be content in in humble means. Specifically, he said, I've learned how to go hungry. I can't imagine a more threatening thing than not having food, not being able to, to eat, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. And it probably wasn't that Paul was on starva- He was probably wasn't that he was starving on the verge of death, but there were times when he didn't have food to eat. He didn't know where his next meal was going to come, to come from. And people have asked the question, okay, how did Paul learn that? Well, it may be that Paul learned the secret of going hungry, by voluntarily going hungry. That's called fasting. Paul as a Jew and as a Christian would have fasted, voluntarily going without food for a period of time. And many people have learned this. People who don't have some some medical condition that precludes uh, fasting from food, many people have learned that it is possible to go for meals. It's possible to go days, days 
without eating food and actually having increased joy, increased sensitivity to the voice of God. On the other end of the spectrum, Paul learned to be content with prosperity and abundance when he had more than he needed. And for most of us in most areas of our lives, uh, we would fit this category. Even though we have abundance, we still need to learn contentment. One of the enemies of contentment is comparison. And many times we find ourselves saying, yeah, I know I have a lot. Yeah, I know I have more than most people in the world, maybe most people who've ever lived. But if I had what they have, if I had their finances, if I had their family, if I had their personality, if I had their uh, discretionary time, then I would be content. What we don't realize is that they're over here thinking, you know, those people over there, if I had their life, then I would be content. And so it, it promises this joy, this satisfaction, that it rarely really delivers. And so this means that contentment is, is uh, uh, something we need to learn even in abundance. We need, need to learn to say, I'm at peace with what I currently have. And so when you look at these, these two ends of the spectrum, we see that contentment is not a function of our circumstances. Contentment is a function of our faith. Do we really believe that God is sovereign and God is powerful in my circumstances? Well, Paul's discussion of contentment would not be complete without the often quoted verse 13. This has been called a kind of a coffee mug verse. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul has not changed subjects here. He's not talking about getting in shape. He's not talking about uh, leaping tall buildings with a single bound. He's talking about being content in the midst of difficult circumstances, abundance. He says, I can be content in any and every circumstance because Christ strengthens me. And so for Paul, he didn't think Jesus was just sitting back, just kind of passively looking, saying, wow, I wonder how Paul's going to going to deal with this circumstance. I wonder how Paul's going to deal with going hungry. He says, no, Jesus is actively, personally strengthening him. Jesus is giving me strength in any and every circumstance. And so again, contentment is a positive Christian virtue. Contentment is an active, aggressive uh, exercise of faith that leads to peace. And if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll find that, that you'll find examples of contentment all over the place, people who are in dire circumstances. The other day in my normal Bible reading, I came to uh, Daniel chapter 3. If you ever think the Bible is boring, read Daniel 3. You may remember the, the plot. These, uh, these three Jewish boys, uh, what are they? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Rakshak and Benny is what they used to be called. And uh, they, were, they were in exile. So they, they were taken from their home and they were living in Babylon, hundreds of miles from where they grew up. And Nebuchadnezzar was just this, this cruel beast of a king. And he came up with this idea. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statue. We're going to make this huge statue of me, a likeness of me. And we're going to blow the trumpets and everybody is commanded, bow down and worship my gods and worship this statue. And so they got everybody in place. The day came, they blew the, blew the trumpets, and everybody bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the authorities 
caught them. They, they brought them to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, th- these were trusted. He, these were valuable, you know, kind of he'd been giving them some authority in his kingdom. And so they said, okay, let me make this clear one more time. If you don't bow down and worship my gods and you don't worship this golden image of me, I am going to throw you into the fiery furnace, which is basically this huge incinerator. And if you read the way they responded, I mean, it's just, it's just classic. They basically said, Neb, okay, uh, you, you know what we're going to say before we say it. We don't even need to answer you. Three things. Number one, our God is able to save us from the fire, rescue us from the fiery furnace. Number two, our God will rescue us from the fiery furnace. And number three, even if he doesn't, we will never bow down to your gods. We will never worship an image of you. And, and where did these guys get this conviction, this boldness, this faith that God is strong in the midst of their dire circumstances? Well, they had learned the secret of contentment. They learned this living in exile. And that's what Paul had learned. He had this, he had this, this same conviction, uh, this type of, of con- contentment. For Paul, his circumstances literally seemed to be inconsequential. He didn't seem to have a preference, whether he had abundance or want. It, it really didn't seem to matter to him. Uh, what mattered to him was not his comfort, but the glory of God. And he got to this place where he believed uh, that, that I, he actually said this in 2 Corinthians 12, I am well content in the midst of weaknesses and insults. So it's probably physical weakness, insults. How do you feel? What do you think about God when you're insulted? When there's persecutions and distresses. Why? Because when I am weak, he is strong. That's contentment when you believe that God's power is going to be manifested even when I'm in these terrible circumstances and I I suffer lack. And so again, he was more concerned about God's glory than his comfort. So here's my question for you. Today, today, again, it's the only day that's guaranteed. Tomorrow may or may not come. Yesterday is gone. Today. Do you want the type of contentment that Paul has been describing? Honestly, do you want that type of contentment in the midst of the circumstances in which you find yourself? And don't be too quick to, to, to answer. You need to be honest before God. And I would just, just take a moment to say, God, what's the truth here? There's no reason to, to not be honest with God. Many of us might say, yeah, I I do want contentment, but not yet. I want contentment after this circumstance flips. Well, that may not be contentment. That may be you want comfort or you want your way or you want want your desires to be fulfilled. Do you want contentment today, here, and now? The problem, of course, is that your circumstances may not change, okay? You may not get that job. You may not get that raise. That relationship may not be restored. Uh, Your health may not improve in this life. And so your circumstances may not change. And if they do change, uh, they may not bring the satisfaction that you wanted. We're really pretty naive to think that if I'm not content now, I will somehow magically be content 
when my circumstances are more to, our li- to my liking. Since today's the only day that's guaranteed, we need to learn contentment today. And uh, I want to spend a few minutes considering a couple of the benefits of contentment. Uh, in this discussion of contentment, we may tend to fixate on, well, contentment means I have to put up with all these things I don't really want to put up with. Well, that, that, that's only a fraction of it. What we really should be uh, focused on, what are the benefits of contentment? What would my life look like? What would my life look like if I, I do cultivate this contentment? And for me, the word that best sums it up is the word freedom. There is great freedom and contentment. I'll mention two things. First of all, there's freedom from ruin in a rather comprehensive way. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul wrote this, 1 Timothy 6, 6. He said, but godliness actually is a means of great gain, then he qualifies it, when accompanied by contentment. The implication is, is that you can have, you can be godly in a certain sense, but if you lack contentment, uh, the fruit of godliness is muted or it's nullified or minimized. And then he adds, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So he's talking about financial needs here. And so if you have contentment in your, your finances, it doesn't mean that your financial needs will be resolved. It doesn't fix your problems. But it does mean that it will save you from all sorts of foolish financial decisions. And furthermore, it will, contentment will protect you from spiritual ruin. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. And so Paul says some people just abandon the faith altogether. They love money more than God. Jesus said you can't love both. You can't serve two masters. And we could think of all sorts of famous people who have just gone off the deep end with their uh, lust for wealth and power, and they've ruined their own lives and the lives of everybody around them. But chances are closer to home you can think of somebody uh, whose faith has been nullified, who pursuing riches and possessions, uh, the net effect is is that Christ is basically an afterthought. Yeah, if I get around to him, fine. It's spiritual ruin. It really is. Look at what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13.5. He wrote, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. So he's talking about contentment, present tense. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's true freedom. If you're able to say, I am content with what I have because what I have is Jesus himself. Jesus who said, I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. And when you think about it, that is the main thing that we are promised in this life, the presence of Jesus Christ. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that is real freedom. That is real freedom, if we can say that. The alternative is basically to say to God, I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for Christ and, and the cross and all that, but you're not enough. I want more, and then I'll be content. 
That spiritual bondage, spiritual freedom is saying, I am, I, I am content with what I have because Jesus has said, I will never desert you or forsake you. And so there's freedom from ruin. There's also freedom to invest in others if you have true contentment. And I'm not thinking about a specific verse so much as the whole context of what we've been talking about here today. Paul was able to write the Philippians what he wrote them because his passion was Christ. He had this, this, this contentment in any and every circumstance. And so he was free to not use the Philippians. Well, I'm going to write them, I'm going to befriend them so that I can get their money. Now, Paul didn't have that. He was free from that. So he was free to invest in the Philippians. He was free to pour out his life for them because what he cared about was the glory of God. And so we invested deeply in the Philippians. And something very similar is, is true in our lives. I think you know this, but discontented people, people who are just not content, present tense, are an incredible, incredible burden on the people around them. A discontented person uh, is exhausting to live with. Uh, if, if you're discontented with your circumstances, you become self-centered, you become preoccupied with whatever it is that's troubling you. I know for myself, when I get discontented, whether something here in the church, yes, newsflash, that happens sometimes, instead of the 90% that I just love what God's doing, I get fixated on that 10% that I wish were different. And I am no fun to be around. When that happens at home and, I, and instead of all the abundance and thankfulness for what God has given, there's these, this just small fraction of a thing that's not right. Boy, instead of, instead of looking out and saying, what is God doing in the other person's life? How can God use me to help meet that need to encourage and build up? I kind of give off this vibe like, man, I really... Pretty, I'm, I'm pretty upset, and it's your responsibility to make me happy. You better tiptoe around me and do everything just right so that I will be happy. That, that is an incredible burden on people. Discontentment is an incredible burden. Contentment is a great gift to the people you love in any and every circumstance. You're free to love God. You're free to love others. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Paul, were able to say, even if my circumstances do not change, God, you are worthy. I will worship you. I will love you. By your grace, I will love my neighbor as myself. That's great freedom. There's great joy in that. And so I would ask you to bow your head and just consider the circumstances that have come to your mind. Um, Bring before God uh, the, the things that trouble you, the things that tend, tempt you to be discontented. Are you able to say to God, I want to learn the secret of being content today in my very circumstances, not one day, but, but today. Bring those things to God and let him speak to you. Let him impress upon you the things that you need to know. Mm -hmm. 
God, we ask that you would do this refining work in our lives. We pray, God, that we might seek your glory more than our own comfort, that we would, would learn the secret of contentment, whether we have a little or a lot, whether we have abundance or suffer need in some way. God, it's so important for your glory. It's important for us. It's important for the people around us that we learn contentment. God, uh, give, us, give us the mind of Christ on these things, and uh, may we honor you greatly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.